Hello everyone, I'm Sam McPhail and welcome to another special edition of The Exchange presented by Confederation Group. As mentioned yesterday on our episode with Mayor Philip Brown, we're going to be doing more frequent episodes to kind of give people updates as they come in um, regarding the COVID-19 outbreak and what it means for our island. Earlier today, Blake and I were joined by Jeff Cook, the president of Cook Insurance, to kind of get his view on what this means for island businesses and especially what it means from the perspective of the insurance industry. As moving forward, we'll have other community leaders and business leaders. Um, tomorrow, we actually have MP Sean Casey joining us um, virtually, and we're excited to share what the federal government's perspective is um, as they rejoin Parliament today for a brief session uh, to pass the necessary legislation so that the governing party can um, effectively govern during this crisis. So without further ado, I will switch it over to our interview with Jeff early this morning. It was awesome to get his perspective, uh, and it was awesome to be able to finally figure out the technology uh, so we could do it a little better. Anyways, here we go. Hello, everyone. Uh, today we're joined with Jeff Cook, the president of Cook's Insurance, a very popular insurance company in Charlotte, based in Charlottetown, PEI. Um, we're with Jeff today to kind of give us his perspective on the ongoings of COVID-19 and what that might mean for the insurance industry and for Islanders in general. Um, I'm joined with Blake Doyle, as you can see below, and up top is Jeff Cook. How are you today, Jeff? Doing great. Jeff, just a question on that intro. Um, so we do have a couple of insurance, we have many insurance companies at PEI, but uh, the insurance company of PEI, is that the only island-based commercial insurer? Correct. There's, you know, there's really two so island-based insurance companies, PEI Mutual and the insurance company PEI, and they do both the home, the auto, and the full commercial pl platform. Excellent. Great. Well, delighted to have you here. Thanks for taking time to chat. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about your business, maybe, Jeff, and um, you know, how are you adapting in this environment, which is pretty unusual? Do you have people in the office? Or are you able to respond to customers' um, challenges if they come up? And is it business as normal, or how do you adapt? That's a, it's a great question today's world, Blake, because it really is. We used to change, you know, by the week, by the day, now it's by the hour. Uh, but fortunately for us, uh, we, ha we had a great technology platform. So when we made the decision to close the doors on Tuesday at noon, so we closed all our doors to the public at noon, and by the end of the next day, we had 70% of our employees working at home, and today there's about 90, uh, or actually can be higher. We have 11 offices through Atlanta Canvas, so people through our technology, they just go home, sign on the internet, and off to work they go. So no matter where you're calling from, our team is there working with our customers no matter where they're located. So it's, it's, been kind of a, it's been kind of an interesting process and how smooth has been for us, fortunately. That's a great success story. So insurance isn't the oldest profession that's known to man, but it is an old one. And uh, you've been pretty, from my observation, your company's been pretty adaptive and you've adopted technology. Has that helped quite a bit to make this transition? Absolutely. You know, we've always considered ourselves one of these, uh, always trying to find out a better way of doing it, doing it, being more streamlined, more efficient, giving better service to the customer and how we can do that through technology. And so through our, you know, our VoIP systems, through our uh, technology, we're in the cloud, it just allows us to be very portable and also at the same breath, you know, having um, our customers be able to reach our people no matter where they are. So if you do have a client, one of your customers has an insurance issue, What's the path? How do they, they still call their 1-800 number? All the same number. It would go in just like they would before. They'd hit a button and it's going to route to any one of our people at their homes because we're in a VoIP uh, phone system. 
we are finding it's interesting on the VoIP system because there's been such a large surge to people going to work at home. Mm. Uh, the internet providers, being Bell or Telus, are getting really squeezed on their bandwidth. So we, what we are finding is a little bit of voice quality issues. Sometimes it varies. As you mentioned earlier, there's certain peaks that people get on or not. So not only do we have people working at home, we have all the kids at home wanting to live stream and everything else. So it's really putting, I think, some stress. Hopefully, Bell or Tell us you're listening. Maybe you can, <laughs> I'll, maybe you can widen that bandwidth if you got anything left. But that that would be one of the true challenges. And when this is all over, I think there'll be a lot of discussion about. Okay, we saw this as our bandwidth. How can we make this more so this does happen again? And actually, when I say that, I think the genie's now at the bottom. And once the genie's out of the bottom, you can't put it back in. And what I mean by that is people are now going to experience what working at home is like. And so I think you're going to see more of a movement to people working at home than you ever saw before. And because once they've tried it, you can't put the genie back in the bottom. So I've, I think the same thing is going to happen. I think people are going to become more accustomed to this forced family time. And uh, I think people are going to enjoy that. They may reassess life balance a bit. Yeah. What happens to all this commercial tenancy, uh, which has been really strong, certainly in PEI for the last couple of years, uh, if people elect to work at home? I, want, I mean, we don't have to answer that. I don't know what the answer is. But there could be some pressure on certain markets, including real estate. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure about that, Blake. I think there's a happy medium. Like, you know, I look, it was kind of interesting. Just before this happened, we are actually in the process of announcing to our staff a work, a, um, a work, a work at home program, like two days at home, three days at work. Because the one thing that I believe is you still need to have social interaction. And so to go to home, and it may be great for the first week, but eventually it's going to get kind of crazy. So I do believe people need to have social interaction. So you have an office. So for us, you may have somebody working here three to two days a week, working at home three days a week, or vice versa. We do see that as a trend that's going to continue, but I still believe you're still going to need physical locations. I think it's a sense of accountability in my sense too. Like you have your, like maybe, obviously you can get just as much work done at home. Some people might be say otherwise, but you have your, your, either your bosses, your managers, your coworkers, just kind of, oh, not that they're going to say anything to you, but if you're slacking around, you they kind of have that death glare to say, pick up pick up your ass like let's get this thing going um so i think i see an accountability part if there was if we were to do a full-time work from personally i hate it because the productivity levels are different and you do something that might have taken you an hour at work with zero distractions but you have i don't know your dog barking your brother or sister come over you have whatever that the case may be it just for me with a house full of people it's a little harder than what other people might think and that's valid um, you know, it really a lot of it. And it depends on which school, what what my, what thought process you have right. is. Because I've heard some some people say, "Oh, I can't let them at home. I can't trust they're going to work their proper eight hours a day or whatever it is." And again, we're in a world that we we just we trust our employees. And through technology, you're able to see are they logged in, how many calls they take. It's very easy to to measure that, even in a world that we're in. It's just a matter of having other softwares and dashboards. You can say, oh, I've seen Sam took 50 calls today, did this. I can easily see your productivity. I do agree, though, when people that do eventually get it working at home, that they're going to have to set up a separate office, you know, say, don't bother me, you know, because I do believe, you know, there's going to be that part of it. And some people just may easily get distracted. Um, you know, I've heard a lot from our employees working at home. They get a lot more work done. They can go out earlier because, again, when you're doing this, it really allows more flexibility uh, instead of you need to take your dog out for a walk. 
you needed to, you know, it allows you at home, you can do that versus from, from the workplace, you can't. So it's going to be an interesting evolution, I think it's going to be, as we move, uh, we move post this current situation. For me, yeah. the best part is uh, making my own lunches because I've had some exactly. skimpish, I've had some skimpish, skimpish lunches at Blake's office, but now I'm able to make some, yeah. some fine dining in my own kitchen. Exactly. You know, just that alone. You know, so it, there's a lot of things that, you know, you may have your own gym at home right. versus the work doesn't. So it does add a lot more diversity or diversification for you when you, chose, when you choose to work at home. We're going to bring some noodles, uh, maybe some of those Mr. Noodles in for you, Sam, to keep you engaged at work. Perfect. Jeff, you mentioned uh, something about social interactions and how important that is. And, and we're in an environment, you see the UK, New Zealand, people are locking down states and that's contemplated in Canada. So if we do get quarantined or self-isolated, uh, the human interaction is really important for mental health and engagement. Um, what about uh, what you're seeing as far as uh, leadership probably from the province and particularly from the health officials as far as maintaining that engagement. Yeah, I, I got a full hat, uh, full hats off to Heather Morrison. Uh, you know, in times like this, communication is everything. And as long as we communicate and people know what's going on and what they can expect, people can adapt to it. The worst thing we can do is not communicate. And then that creates all these other thoughts going through your mind, you know, like CBC deciding to shut down. That was really bad. And I think there's going to be, I think a lot of people have said the same thing. You know, we need to have people, not everybody in this world knows how to use internet. You know, there's a lot of seniors out there that rely on CBC to get, to get communications. Now, fortunately for Eastlink, they did a great job. I'm able to go on Eastlink and watch Heather Morrison, listen to her, her newscasts, as well as you can on the internet. But I think with Heather Morrison's leadership, she's really kept Islanders calm. And actually, I personally, as an Islander, see a light of the tunnel a lot sooner than later because of some of the early actions she and her government have taken. Um, you know, if we, if for an example, PEI, if we're clear for let's say the next two or three weeks and there's no new viruses, in theory, you could have sort of a little mini economy almost happening in PEI. It's not like the tourism are going to be coming. Tourism's not going to be flowing in. But there's going to be other small pockets that are going to open, maybe a restaurant here, a restaurant here. So I do see that turning. But again, it's all dependent upon, you know, we've got islanders that maybe are in Peru or in that cruise ship. So again, there's the catch. When these people are coming back, if they don't self-isolate, then what I just said is going to be out the window. Right. You know, I, I saw a, Facebook, a post on Facebook just a couple of days ago. It just blew my mind away where some poor little girl worked at Sobeys and she went home and told her mother, this woman come up and said, oh, I just got back. I'm just going to self-quarantine, but I'm in getting my groceries before I go. Well, the poor little girl was very upset. I had to call her mother. I don't blame her because that is the very situation which would cause it to spread. And that's why they're saying people really have to be diligent about self-isolation. Yeah, it's certainly a different environment, isn't it? Uh, and it's shocking how, you know, actually Sam and I were watching some traffic counts just to see uh, and that's measured now. You can see what is happening, the impact to um, mobility. People are, for the most part, respecting this. I think they respect Dr. Morrison's advice. Um, not everybody takes time, maybe, but uh, that, that you're right. If we can control this thing, it's probably 18 months before we can eradicate it. But if you can minimize it, let the healthcare system manage outbreaks as they occur, everybody's going to be better off. And, and I think you suggested earlier, an island like this is a self-quarantinable microcosm. It is. And therefore, we create our own mini economy if we can do that. 
That's great. Well, maybe uh, maybe you can provide some guidance to our political leadership to help to make that well, happen. I think, I think they're doing well. I mean, we got to poor, poor Premier King out of isolation first. Yeah, I think he's out in a few days, but uh, pretty unbelievable times for anybody. And, and fortunately, the politicians seem to be working well together. I agree. Any thoughts on the insurance industry? Like, how does the insurance industry itself adapt to this? Because the financial impact to the economy is not, really not even measurable. Um, you know, I'm sure that both federal and provincial governments this week will come with some pretty aggressive bailouts. I think they're going to have to to stabilize things. What, how's the insurance industry adapting to this? You know, it's, kind of, it's, a, it's a good question, and it's one that I don't think they can put their fingers on yet. From the insurance industry, we're a little bit more delayed, or call it more downstream a bit. And what I mean by that is, you know, businesses today are still, are still uh, um, they still have insurance policies, but maybe some of those businesses are not going to reopen, but that we're not going to see that maybe for two or three or four or five months downstream. You know, when we come through this process in three months and say, okay, we're ready for, we're ready to take in tourism. Um, we're not going to see a flux of people come to PEI. So it's going to be a, and therefore there's going to force me through this process. There's going to be casualties. It's not going to be nice. There are going to be businesses that are not going to survive. Even with some of these stimulus packages, I don't believe those numbers are going to be big enough to sustain a lot of these small tourism type operations that, you know, are really a day to day or month by month type operation. That's my biggest concern too. Like even with like, let's say golf courses or seasonal restaurants, sure paying off their wages is great, but they rely on a certain number each day, all day, all, all throughout the summer. So if that's non-existent, that's just impossible to keep open. There's no, there's no sense to it at all. Absolutely. And just think about our seafood, our seafood industry, whether it be mussels, oysters, uh, processing, you know, they're going to have a they're going to have a built up supply so the lobster fisherman goes out in may who are they going to sell the lobster to they're not moving anywhere so there's a lot of those type things that is very concerning uh from the actual insurance policy side they're still in place uh the biggest thing we're dealing with right now is calls coming in saying i can't make my payments or you know, i have no revenue coming in how do i pay for my insurance and so the insurance companies are still in a little bit of um, flux on this and trying to figure out what can they do. Because it's not like they can say, okay, we're gonna postpone your payment and put it in the back end because it's only a one month term. It's not like a mortgage. We can say, okay, I'll take your three month, next three months mortgage payments and tack it on the end of your mortgage because they've got the collateral on the house. The insurance is more of a fixed term and that building is still there. That equipment and stock is still there even though they're not open for business. So that part, um, is still a moving target and you know companies are trying to come up with strategies and I'm still not necessarily uh, there's just so many moving parts they don't know yet because it's still so early and that's a, a lot of the case too if it's like a wait and see because like you said it's it used to be week by day and then now it's by hour you it's a wait and see you can't just judge on what's going to happen tomorrow today because we have no clue what could happen tomorrow Right, and, and I think it's also about certain businesses adapting. I look at one, I just did a post the other day in Harvest Wholesaling, where they mm -hmm. now, um, you know, they supply a lot of the grocery stores with the product, and they also do a lot of restaurants. But the restaurants that are supplying, so they said, here's our 1-800 number, call us, here's our menu. You call up, you put in your fresh produce order, you drive up in their car, they come out, put the box in your car, and off you go. So it's a, it's a situation of them being able to adapt in this marketplace in order to at least keep things moving. Still some restaurants, we did a takeout order the other day trying to, you know, it's not a lot, but there are a few restaurants. 
mm-hmm. that we're doing t- take orders from. So at least trying to keep some of that revenue flowing within the economy. But that's okay if you're being paid and you're not being laid off. Those people being laid off, you know, are not having that same luxury. Exactly. They're, they're, they're having the Mr. Noodles. Exactly. And that's, those are the people that, you know, when you look at PEI as an economy, we're a service, really a service-based type economy. We do have some manufacturing, but even the manufacturing, you know, potato farmers, putting the potatoes in the ground, where are they going to go? There's a lot of that unknown. And that, that's where I think there's a lot of, I won't call unrest, but it's so much uncertainty right now is people just don't know. These uh, pivot points of disruption, we're in a disrupted environment. And I think the companies that can adapt to this and survive and survival is going to be a key for the next couple of quarters, because this is not a short term turnaround. But, you know, companies like the Harvest Wholesalers, if you can adapt, if the restaurants can adapt to do outsourcing uh, meals, then uh, they'll survive. Insurance industry itself, so not the local companies, but the underwriters, is there any concern for solvency if this thing kind of really escalates? Um, I'm sure there's backstops with even you know, federal provincial governments to some extent, but is that a concern for anybody at this point or is there still some liquidity in the uh, For the insurance, from the, from the, excuse me, from the property and casualty industry, they're very well, uh, very, they're very liquid. Um, their MCT ratings are excellent. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different mechanisms in Canada that the normal person wouldn't know, even if an insurance company in Canada is a, called PASIP, so even if an insurance company happened to go down, there's agreement that all the other insurance carriers got to pick it up. So it's not like we'd have a mass. And really for an insurance company, if you think about it, to have a large, they're not really going to have a large drain on their capital unless they have losses. Well, unfortunately in this situation, there is no insurance, co- there is no insurance coverage applies because there's no, being, there's been no physical damage to the building or their equipment. So in essence, there is no real drain on their, on their assets unless they have business canceling. But then as that business cancels, then the op, there's the offsetting liability that reduces. So uh, we, we're, you know, no question, some insurance companies, all of us, including the brokers and insurance companies, are going to face, you know, canceled customers, loss of business. Um, that will happen. And then hopefully over time, some of that will be replaced. Right. To the whole economy. I think everybody's going to suffer to some extent. This is a very you know, it's uncharted waters. It's a very unusual situation. Um, any recommendations, Jeff? I mean, your company has been around for a long time. You're multi-generational. Uh, you've adapted to new technology. You've got a dispersed workforce, continue to serve customers. Any recommendations for other businesses out there trying to find their way in this crazy environment? Oh, that's a big one. Um, main thing is stay safe, stay isolated, uh, make sure the least, and you know, Again, I, I look at things and I know it's a, it's a very difficult situation we're in because people are faced with making layoffs of their staff. And, you know, we're talking a three-month, four-month period. One of the things we look at is saying, all right, well, what's going to happen when you're ready to rehire? Are those employees there? And uh, I, I think that, you know, the federal government could take a little bit more of a leadership role in allowing those people that are laid off to collect the AI, but allow those businesses to top up to where their income was. So therefore, and again, I'm not saying all businesses can afford to do this, but given we're talking about this time frame, allow those businesses to top those employees up to the full amount without any penalty. And what this does, it takes a strain off the banks because now these employees can make their financial obligations. It just, and there's no real additional cost to the federal government. At least part of the burden is being put on the business owner, but they can't afford the whole stretch. No. 
And so the concern is when you do flip this, when you do flip this back on, where's all the employees going to come from? So all of a sudden you're going to hire a whole bunch of new employees in the middle of the summer and try to get them trained. You know, so I'm just hoping that there is some thought process for that by the feds and, and thinking about how can we get a lot of these employees more, more liquid for themselves in uh, getting through these difficult times. Sounds like a political sort of campaign platform to me. I, I vote for that. <laughs> I, I, I'm staying out of politics. I was just saying it'd be something that, you know, I, I think that, because I think this is quick and immediate and it, and it really gets cash right into people's hands versus just waiting. Right. And it's the uncertainty and the lack of confidence, I think, that's going to kill us quickly. So I agree. Feds need to move fast. I mean, the banks and everybody. I mean, the banks need government approval just to start delaying mortgage payments. There's not, from the way I'm told, like the Royal Bank just can't come out and say, I'm going to waive your mortgage payments. Apparently, it's got to be an order by government, I'm told. And then, they got, then that can happen. So there's a lot of moving parts that need to move, move quick because other than that, banks are saying, well, here, make your payment. Now what? And they'll say, oh, please call. Could you imagine the amount of people that have been <laughs> on that phone? What, I see the, with the biggest amount of layoffs since like 1931. Was I correct in that number I read somewhere? Could be, yeah. And think about that amount of people calling financial institutions looking to have their mortgages delayed. Yeah. It just, they'll never all get through. This could cascade pretty quickly. I mean, if we get 25, 30% unemployment uh, as a base, which we probably can get to pretty easily. Absolutely. That'll cascade. Uh, the first week alone, it was close to, I think the first like 500,000 people, and it was like 3% of the workforce in the first couple of days when everyone started to get laid off. So it's pretty, pretty, and it's, it'll be interesting to see what that number is next week. Or I mean, Alberta, I'm sure, is their numbers must be off the chart. Right. Just give them oil, what's happened to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I guess in the interest of time, we'll probably try to wrap it up. But uh, one one question we will ask you, Jeff: What would be your favorite isolation activity? Hmm. Favorite isolation activity? I guess watching Netflix or watching <laughs> like playing cribbage with my wife and watching Netflix. That's, those are good answers. That's a, probably a common theme this week around PEI is watching Netflix. Oh, oh and one other thing: home renovations. I'm now, in, I'm now into removing, I was into home hardware just to get a couple of things. He says, they sold more paint in one week. They have in like three, four, five months. Yeah. A lot of people doing home renovations right now. You're home. You got time to do the projects you never had time for before. As long as we keep the supply chains open and goods traveling, that's yeah. good. Jeff, um, look, I, I've known you for many years. In fact, uh, you probably don't remember this, but uh, you were involved with Red Cross uh, several lifetimes ago. And uh, yep. You always showed strong leadership there, so it's great to see strong leaders in the community driving their companies, keeping their businesses operating, and uh, we've got to get through this so the economy will prevail. I agree. Awesome. So I guess we'll wrap it up there, and uh, this has been a special edition of The Exchange with Jeff Cook from Cook's Insurance, and we thank him very much for his time. Thank you, gentlemen. So that was our interview with Jeff Cook, the president of Cook's Insurance um, and a pretty popular fellow in the PEI business community. Um, it was awesome to have him on just to kind of get his perspective, of course, of what COVID-19 could mean for his business and for other businesses um, on Prince Edward Island. Um, as mentioned, moving forward, we're going to have more community leaders. Um, and even tomorrow, we have MP of Charlottetown, uh, Sean Casey, coming on. So it'll be interesting to pick his brain of what the federal government is doing to better prepare us for um, further measures uh, with, with, in regards to COVID-19. 
Um, as always, it's important to follow the lead of Dr. Heather Morrison. Stay at home if you can. Only go out for non-essential services and wash your hands as often as you possibly can. I know I've been quite a bit and my hands are starting to dry up. That's okay because I'm trying to stay as healthy as possible. Um, so this has been a special edition of The Exchange. I'm Sam McPhail, presented by Confederation Group. Uh, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time. <laughs>